Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. So back in August, my wife and I went on our second clergy couple's marriage retreat. I really have come to enjoy these retreats. They're, if nothing else, there's kids the same age as Thomas that he can grow up with and, and spend time with together. This year, the retreat focused on how clergy families can enjoy the holidays together. My wife and I, we work our tails off in December and, and April, really. And there's a worry among many clergy couples that we neglect our families a little too much. So we spent this time at this retreat talking about ways that we can spend more time together as a family unit, as well as devote some time to Advent and Christmas prep, so that, at least in theory, less time needs to be spent on studying, sermon prep, liturgy prep, and more time could be spent with our families. At the very least, it was the hope that we'd be less stressed during this time. We invited a professor from Union Presbyterian, uh, to come, Dr. Richard Bowles. He led the resource time that helped us plan out our Advent and Christmas season. Dr. Bowles was an assistant professor of preaching and worship. Instead of working through the gospel text appointed for the, each Sunday, he focused on the first lesson, the, the st- Isaiah. And I thought that sounded like a pretty good idea. I don't normally get to preach on Isaiah, so I, I like the challenge of it all. And you all know that I'm very analytical in my approach to to many things, especially the gospel text. I like to, I love all the technical details of the text. I like to know all about the nuances of, of the Hebrew and the Greek. And Dr. Voles gets up and he says he's not going to do any of that. And my immediate reaction was to try to get out of the room. My wife had to hold me, hold my hand and make sure I didn't leave. But she made me stay. And, I, and I'm really glad I stayed because it turned out that these activities that he had us doing each for each week were really kind of neat. And they made me think about the text in a completely different way. Made me focus on parts of the text that were probably I would have skipped over. Like last week in the text, we, um, it was Isaiah and he gave us all this Play-Doh. And he told us, sculpt something out of Play-Doh. Who was here on the craft night? Yeah, I glued my hand to the table. I'm not good with sculpting things. I'm not good with crafts. You all, I, poor Darcy asked me to help her put together a cross, and it didn't go well. Now, Pastor Christine, thankfully, was there and fixed it up for us. But I, I'm not good with crafts. And he said, sculpt something out of the text. And I'm like, I don't know what to sculpt. And all the stuff in the text that I'm really good at, that I really like, I don't know how to, to sculpt anything out of that. But then we got to the verse that, about the asp. You know what an asp is? It's a snake. Anybody can make a snake, right? Especially me. And so I ended up focusing on the, on that part of the text and, and it blew my mind. I never would have focused on a snake because I don't really like snakes. But I was able to do that. So by doing these different activities, I was able to focus on different parts of the text that I probably would have, have glanced over. And so the first week at, at St. John's, we, I had them do this free writing exercise where I told them just take five minutes during communion and write down everything that you think, of, that you think about this text. Last week, you heard about the Play-Doh. This week, since I'm here with you all, I, I want you also to actively participate in the text and the sermon time. I... I handed out those sheets, or actually I didn't hand out, um, the Hartzels handed those out for me, uh, the, about the verbs of the text. Anna Carter Florence in her book, Rehearsing Scripture, has this activity for reading Scripture. 
You read the scripture once through, share the piece, and then you go back and read the text one more time. Only this time you focus on finding the verbs. And since Christine did such a good job reading the lesson once through, I'm not going to do that again. And we're, and we're going to share the piece later on, so we're not going to do all that. But I do want us to go back and look at all the verbs. Now, since I only have 10 to 15 minutes to preach here, since we're all in a Baptist church, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I went through and I underlined all the verbs, and I know you all can't see that, but I promise you I did. And some of them, in full disclosure, they're not actually verbs, but I found them pretty interesting, and so that's why I underlined them. So all the English teachers out there who are freaking out right now that I don't know what a verb is, it's okay. I know. So the first thing I noticed in this text is that God is very verby. There's a lot of stuff that God is doing. Look at all the underlines. There are tons of them. Tons of, tons of verbs that God is doing. God is not a lazy God. God is active in the present reality and ready to bring us into a new reality that God is laying out to the prophet's words in Isaiah. Humanity does have a few verbs. Not a lot. But the verbs that humanity does have, they're often very confusing verbs. And that's the second thing I noticed. Humanity doesn't have much to say in all of this. Nowhere in this text does God say to Isaiah, give the people a choice. This is not Burger King. You cannot have it your way. <laughs> you cannot, you can have it either, you can have it either God's way or you just don't exist anymore. And notice what God instructs Isaiah to say to all the people who are fearful heart. Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance. Oops, where'd it go? He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. I think we need to have a little conversation though with God and tell tell him that you know when people are scared, it's probably not a very good idea to say he will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. That gives me the heebie-jeebies. However, what we often do not realize is that Isaiah is told to proclaim these words in the midst of the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians have killed King Zedekiah's sons in front of him, and then they plucked out his eyeballs. The king has been human, and then they threw him in jail, tied him up in chains for the rest of his life. The Babylonians have removed the Israelites from their land, have destroyed their temple, have murdered a number of their citizens. These words from Isaiah have been seen as a way of rousing the troops. They bring hope to a people living in a very hopeless situation. That God will make things right once again. Notice that last line, God will come and save you. God will save you by destroying all those who stand in God's way, who oppress you. And the fourth thing I notice is in verse 5 and 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the, and the ears of the death unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. I notice it because Jesus says pretty much the exact same thing in our gospel lesson. John the Baptist is wondering if Jesus is the real thing. So he sends his disciples to question Jesus. And Jesus says, Jesus answers them by saying, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. But I, I do have some, some issues with this part of the text. 
Not so much with the words that Isaiah and Jesus that are saying, but how we often use these words. Often people view being blind, lame, deaf, being dumb, those who cannot speak, as something that is seen as not being whole. And that's just not true. Being blind, lame, or deaf does not mean that life has ended. It certainly does not mean that's a punishment from God. Often in scriptures, it is said that in the resurrection, these ailments will no longer be pleasant as if being blind or lame or death is a shortcoming, less than desirable, less of a person. That's how we often interpret these passages like this. Leaving people who are blind, who are lame, who are deaf, feeling as though they're a second-class citizen. And that's not the point of the prophet's words. Rather, in this new reality God is ushering in, all we will be able to see All we will be able to hear, all we will be able to feel is the glory of God. All that our tongues will be able to confess and say is the majestic glory of our God. And that leads me to the new vision that God is going to bring. That God is going to bring, that is going to happen. Notice, oops, how many times you've seen the the dark highlighted parts up there? Get this nice little thing. He says, shall... A lot. 24 times in the, in the lesson. The only word used more than shall is the. And right behind shall is and. I made what is called this wordle. These were kind of popular back in the tooth, uh, earlier part of this decade. Y'all remember these? A wordle takes, you put a whole bunch, you put text onto a thing and it, and it takes the most, the words that are used the most often and makes them bigger. So, shall is the largest on this. The rest is pretty small. Those words aren't used a lot, but shall is used the most. So what do you hear when you hear the word shall used in this text? First thing that comes to my mind is, you shall not pass, right? I'm a little nerdy. Seriously, though, shall really affirms what is going to happen is going to happen. Shall is a strong imperative in the English language. It all goes back to what I said as my second point. God is going to act, and we are going to be pulled into this new reality. Maybe some of us kicking and screaming. Maybe some of us with trembling in our hearts. This new reality is designed for God's people. There will be no ravenous beast who can destroy this new reality. Have you all seen that? Um, there was a hotel sign that says pets are welcome except bears. Bears destroy things. In this new reality, we won't have to worry about bears destroying our stuff. Only the redeemed will be able to walk there. The ransomed ones will be returned. The people will return to singing of Zion. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Joy and gladness will be easily attained and sorrow will flee from our minds. That last verse though, from Isaiah's words. My brothers and sisters, you all have had a very difficult month as a congregation. Barbara, Ralph, David, three people connected to your church have died. This is not how anyone wants to spend the month of December the Christmas and Advent season, mourning the loss of a loved one, a friend, a child. The more I do this ministry thing, the longer I stay at places and set up roots, start a family, the harder these funerals seem to be getting. This past year at St. John's, I buried 10 people. 
Most of them were Shadans, who I got to know really well because I visit them almost every month. I preached a funeral back in October for a man who died in his 50s. His father and mother are both still alive. His father's a member of my congregation. He died of a massive heart attack. Chris had had a rough life. And it finally seemed as though things were turning around for him. And then he died very suddenly at home. David Levis dying this weekend from a heart attack at the age of 42. Barbara dying after fighting breast cancer for over 20 years. Is that right? Ralph, he just was moved to hospice a couple weeks ago. Not even that. And died very suddenly this week. It's in moments like these that it's not the pastor's job to explain why these bad things keep happening. But to preach the gospel message. And the gospel, the message from our God, is that the ransomed people will, will be returned home. That God has paid your ransom and that you are set free. You will be returned home. You will return home singing joy in your heart. Everlasting joy shall be upon your heads. We will attain joy and gladness. Our sorrow and singing shall, sighing shall flee away. And we will be in the glory of the Lord. We will not be able to see anything else. That is the hope that we cling to this day. That This is the hope we cling to this Advent and Christmas seasons and when we pr- fervently pray for our God to come. It's in the midst of our pain and grief and our joys and in our happiness this Advent and Christmas season. We pray fervently without ceasing for our God to return, for our God to be present. And present more than just in the form of a little baby in a manger. Present in the way that Isaiah is describing. Present in more than just splendor and glory looking down on the people, but actively with us, with you. Changing things, reviving things, bringing life back to a hopeless world. That is what we cling to this day. In the midst of your grief and in your pain, this this Advent season, my brothers and sisters, cling to the very fact that that God never breaks a promise. And if God has promised to come back, God will return.